Hey, my name is Remy Franklin. My name is Seth Gamble. And you're listening to The Sauce with Kenzie Taylor. And you can listen to it every Tuesday. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Sauce Podcast with Kenzie Taylor. Today, I have two very handsome guests. Will both of you please introduce yourselves? Tell everybody what you do. I'm Seth Gamble. Hi, Seth Gamble. Yeah, um, I'm like a multi-nominated adult star and director. You've actually won a lot, too. I yeah, hear. I have. I've won a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. And you just started directing, right? Yeah, I just started directing. Yeah. Um, uh, Axel Blonde produced a bunch of my movies <laughs> for Wicked. My name is uh, Remington Franklin, and uh, Hi, I am uh, a business owner and a all-around badass Yeah. That just gets shit done. <laughs> Yeah. And I know just about everybody that everybody knows. Really? Yes. If you know them, I know them better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got me to pop on that one. <laughs> okay. Let's rewind. Okay. Real introductions. I am Remington Franklin. Um, Hi, Remington. I am dear friends with both of you. Yes. Um, I uh, create brands and businesses in the traditional space. Mm-hmm. Um, and started uh, working on potentially creating um, celebrity-based adult products. So that's how we all kind of met with a lovely company called Doc Johnson. Shout out to Doc Johnson. Okay, next. I'm Seth Gamble. I've, I've been on this amazing saucy podcast before. <laughs> saucy. It's a lot of sauce. There's a lot of sauce involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, industry, veteran, Coming up on uh, what industry? Um, the industry of adult films. Okay, awesome. I do those. I always thought you were a plumber or a pizza delivery guy. I am yeah. sometimes. I mean, it depends. I thought you were a stepdad sometimes or stepbrother. More of a step uncle. I think I've hit that mark. Okay. I think I'm in between the son and the dad. Like the creepy mustache. They still have uncle. me do dad sometimes. I don't know anything you're talking about because I don't <laughs> watch adult films, <laughs> so I can't help you here. Um, but yeah, the rundown. I've been doing this a long time. I've on this podcast i think we've already went through a lot of my history but i've been a performer for over a decade and a half plus and some change and uh just uh directing over the past few years and uh and performing and writing and producing and just all around doing the things that you do in adult films that you can do to be successful in work when you say a decade and a half is it like you know and some change is it like 15 years and seven months or 15 years and nine months or 15 no, years it's, and four it's months. actually the next year will be uh, technically 17 years. Well, then that's not a decade and a half. That's over Plus. a decade and a half. Okay, you right, said yeah. and change. So it's 17 years. Thank you. Yeah. Specificity is important. It, it really is. I have been in the adult space <laughs> for 17 years. It is a very different space than when I first entered this space. So how did you two meet? Um, how did the bromance start? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, uh, Doc had an event they sponsored, which everyone was invited to, both mm-hmm. uh, traditional celebrities, adult celebrities, uh, brand owners, business. That was a good mix at a party. And uh, I had my badge on that said Doc Johnson. I was walking around with actually um, Matt Smiley and Max Barsigns and a bunch of people that, like, you know, work for traditional companies. Mm-hmm. And Seth looks at my badge and goes, you work at Doc Johnson? I have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, you shorted me 0.5 inches on my cock. <laughs> And I was like, that's not me, that's Scott. But let me walk you over to him. I just I just do this stuff. So then I walk Seth over to Scott and then they started talking and then he's like, yeah, thanks, man. We just became homies after that. We're kind of very um, similar, mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways. 
and dissimilar in some. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been it's been a pleasure becoming you know really good friends with him and welcoming welcome him into our group of friends. Mm-hmm. Of because um, it's again it's like for me it's interesting. I'm like welcome like I feel like very welcome in in the adult community. Mm-hmm. But vice versa is true in mine since um, you know we I have a fl- I have like a full thing that I I don't think anyone should have like a delineation a friend's a friend it doesn't matter what you do mm-hmm. as long as it's like legal and safe and not crazy you know i've got some friends in europe that will we'll leave that off the podcast <laughs> but um and in other places but uh but in general like he's been a welcome addition and everyone loves him so it's also helpful too because you know some of my friends who are showrunners and directors like they're starting to you know um dive into like figuring out how they actually like create the next euphoria or do stuff in the, in the adult space. And I think the one thing that a lot of people miss is that authenticity mm-hmm. and that that's lacking when people like pick someone random. And I think, you know, people like you and Seth and people have been in for so long and that I've seen everything in the transition. It's, it's a really good resource. So like, that's, you know, my hope for him is as he continues directing career and like, you know, continues to build his brand also be a resource to the traditional space because he's got such a wealth of knowledge. Both mm-hmm. of you do. And I think uh, that adds a lot of realism. And I think a lot of people lack that. But I think more on our side, like creatively, the 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 merging of the two businesses is, is coming closer and closer with like every little thing. I mean, you can buy, um, you know, vibrators, butt plugs, lube, everything in traditional food and drug mass. Mm-hmm. So I think like the steps are uh, steps are there. And like you've got like Chloe Cherry transitioning and other people and they're all becoming like larger stars. So mm-hmm. I think as content shifts, you'll actually see that too. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself an advocate for sex workers that you've become friends with because of the discrimination that we deal with from society, I guess, as a whole? So I think coming from two things, um, uh, and this is also like different. So I was raised differently than most. Like my parents have always been like advocates of like, I mean, look, I grew up in Europe, so Mm -hmm. uh, sex works a little different over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like it's different in a lot of fashions. And I think how people are portrayed here, it upsets me quite a bit, but also I'm Jewish. So like generally we get upset about things when it's like a a grotesque amount of injustice. And I think that there's such stigma placed on something when the person that's like placing the stigma is literally, you know, at home with jerking off with their pants around their ankles in an upset marriage and looking for like a release Mm -hmm. of fantasy yet they're the first ones who are gonna condemn it. So I think at the end of the day, it's not just that. I think it's the entire business. But for the most part, yeah, for my friends, trust me, if you're my friend, I'll fight tooth and nail to make sure there's that nothing happens. I think it's it really pisses me off that people treat that way. But it's also like I can tell you when Seth came to meet my friends, I can assure you was probably a little nervous. Also, he was wearing his uh, sweatpants and uh, his sweatpants <laughs> and uh, and his tank top, like his normal u- uniform. I, I say I say baby gap because the little tank tops he wears looks like. Like he shops at Baby Gap. Yeah, it was Baby it's Gap. Way too big. For and the I took. I met him. At, I met him at Dantana's, and he walks in, and Arturo went and got him a, a sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Put this on. Your arms are too large." <laughs> it was really. It was really funny. But uh, but I think you know, initially for him to meet people, I know he was a little nervous. But like, yeah. as soon as he did, everyone just started talking shit like they normally do. And now yeah. he's on like all of our tech groups, and like yeah. he's part of the fam. So it's no different. I think that, like I said, no one cares what anyone does. Like I don't care if you're a barista at Starbucks or you're 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 shoveling manure. If you're cool, you're cool. It just happens to be that like your job is different than my job. It doesn't mean that, you know, if there's any stigma in my eyes or any segmentation, I think that's, you know, stupid for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. What's your education? Like, where did you like my come life from? Yeah. Well, originally I came from my mother's womb. I was birthed like top head. <laughs> um, I went to the uh, University of Elmo. It's a small school on Sesame Street. <laughs> um, it's a tiny little thing. Uh, yeah, no, um, I'm from Malibu, California. 
Uh-huh. Um, I went to uh, the same thing everyone else does, which is called Juan Cabrillo. It is a <laughs> small school in Malibu where mm-hmm. we do absolutely nothing, like other than you know get into fights with each other and surf. Yeah. Um, I was then excommunicated to Switzerland <laughs> to boarding school because uh, I told my dad I want to be a lifeguard and professional surfer after I got into a fight, and he was like, e, "You're out." So like, literally, <laughs> was like, "You're out." Like passport, plane ticket. See you later. Mm-hmm. I didn't come back. I went to the University of Arizona where I played water polo. I left there when I graduated. Um, yes, I did take a half year of victory lap because it was just like I could take three classes, which were the history of the University of Arizona, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Archery and essentially a, a class about watching movies. So they were all on Tuesday, one day. So I'd go to class one day and then be perpetually wasted for for the remainder of the days, <laughs> except Monday was the only day I wasn't wasted because I had class on Tuesday. So that would be it. Sounds pretty. And epic. then after that, I went to um, become an assistant at uh, ICM Partners, which is no longer an agency. It was um, acquired by CA. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an assistant for 20 months and then I got promoted to agent. Um, but in that time and also up until I started making real money, I, I was a nightlife. I was a nightlife. So I'd like literally work all night and then not sleep or mm-hmm. take like a nap, throw my suit on and work all day. Did you know that you wanted to be an agent or was it just kind of like, eh, whatever? No, I wanted to be an agent just because like that's generally the starting point for a lot of people. Like the best thing to do if anyone's trying to get in the traditional entertainment space is go to a talent agency. You're Mm going to figure out what you want to do. A lot of the people that um, stay at the agency don't actually become agents. They go there for like their year or two years Mm -hmm. and then they leave um, to go like be a writer's assistant or work at studio or assist somewhere else. But being an assistant in anything is probably the most important thing you're you're going to do. I think... um, one of the things that's lost in like traditional society is apprenticeship. Mm. And I think like as an apprentice, essentially an assistant, I mean, people think of the term as being a demeaning job. It's not, it's only as like the term itself is not demeaning. I mean, people think it is, Oh, I'm just someone's assistant. Well, no, you're not. You're getting access to someone's existence and their life and you're on their phone calls and you're seeing everything they're doing. It's your choice and opportunity if you want to learn and grow and continue to change or, you know, die on the vine. So that's kind of what the the process is to see if you're going to make it. Um, I made it very quick. I'm a unique individual in that sense, not mm-hmm. like a pump up. I mean, you've spent enough time with me, you know how my brain fires. So I'm, would you say I'm not normal in that sense? Yeah, you're definitely not normal. Yeah, yeah. which is okay. But it's good. Yeah. But it's it's good. It's also kind of weird, but it's also good. Like, you're like a little machine gun. Correct. Actually, but like one that doesn't end, stop firing. Duck, 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 yeah. duck, duck, duck. Never runs out of ammo. It actually uh, helps me piggyback because you were talking about apprenticeship and understanding how important that is. And I completely agree with that because um, when I first got in the industry, I had... I was basically under apprenticeship of many of the now legendary male performers mm-hmm. of that time period. And I feel like that is what has helped mold me into the performer that I have grown to become. And as just as such, when I wanted to get into the directing space, I felt like I was under apprenticeship with, you know, an Axel Braun or even, you know, some, some stuff with Brie Mills, especially on her side of things, but mostly under that with the wicked brand. And I'm, I've always been a full proponent of that because at the end of the day, you have to like get a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of understanding of what you're doing to really be successful at it. That is severely lacking in our industry today. Uh, A lot of the male performers, they, you know, they come from the content space where they're learning from, uh, you know, just being, you know, at their home content creating, and there's no art to being a performer anymore being learned as from other people that are older or in the business longer period of time where, you know, if I, there are, there have been some guys along the way that I've been helping out sparingly, but not as 
tight as it used to be. Like I would be, you know, spending time, personal time, becoming friends and really learning the craft uh, as time progressed on just the art of performing on top of finding that realism and that genuine performance that you would do, but also the way of how to do the things and make the girls look better on camera. And you're right. I think even in our industry, it, it transfers over there. That is completely lacking. Well, I mean, I'd say it's like no different than the, I mean, again, relating it towards my space when again, I'm not an agent anymore. I build traditional brands and work on stuff. So like it's way different, but you got to liken it to like the traditional understudy, right? In theater, like you're learning, right? And you're there mm -hmm. to step in in case it's a thing. I think like that's a good variable. The other thing I wasn't aware of in the space because I'm still a novice and I don't know was until I spoke to both of you, I didn't understand like the length of a day on the set mm -hmm. and then I had so many additional questions too it's like you're there for 15 hours yeah and I was like but the scene is like this big and they're like no 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 no. and then I was like but that's not but then no and it's like you're you're confused and then you realize how much goes into it and it's like I would venture a guess to like you guys aren't actual porn stars you're more like athletes yes like, it's like that's a, what our chiropractor says because yeah, yeah. because based off my thought like look i've run marathons drunk mm -hmm. as as we all know <laughs> like forget to sign up for them and run them drunk i do extreme things like mm -hmm. train jiu-jitsu fight muay thai whatever you want to talk about i'm good like i couldn't like the fact of the days that he's informed me of or what you guys have to do like yeah. i think if the world knew the amount of like physical strain you put on your body doing what you do i think not only would they be like well, well shit like that actually makes sense but also like it's it's no different like between like the stuff that people think they miss and it's it's crazy to think about how how you, from what i've learned and again i'm again just from talking to you guys and, mm -hmm. and the information is probably to me like just the separation but like also like how there's no actual like real protections like you guys go on overage on a set and there's no overage free you this this amount of hours there call times, readjustments, all of those things that potentially could be there. Now, I'm not saying it's possible based off the budgetary restrictions, but there should be a new system in which that could work. And I think there are ways that you're going to be able to kind of dive into that. But I have more questions when it comes to that in general, because I, I don't know. I can answer some of those. So um, 15 hours is an extremely long day. That's not normal. Um, generally speaking, if you're shooting like like a bigger feature film that I do because of, let's say, that specific feature, my budgetary restrictions, I have to like you know, Rob, Peter, pay Paul. So like at the end of the day, sometimes I need to, in order to make a project that I feel is uh, valuable enough to put on online, I have to squeeze more into a day. And there's also things that happen, variables that you can't control. Generally speaking, a day that is normal is 12, nothing more than 12 hours. I will say that on my sets that I produce and direct, there are days that go over 12 hours, but everybody that, that I do have on my set, I end up coming out of my own pocket to make sure that they're covered for overtime. Yeah, but that's different, right? But that shouldn't be your, that shouldn't be your uh, cross to bear. No, it shouldn't. For, for, it sorry should. for saying two Jews and cross to bear. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's two Jews and a cross. Two Jews and a cross. I mean, uh, but I Merry just want to Christmas, everyone, just to get yeah. that out of the way. Um, no, yeah, I definitely, I just wanted to clarify that because no, at, at the end of the day, it shouldn't be. Um, but I don't think, but I don't think it's also that's part of the problem too, right? So like you're talking about budgetary restrictions and you're talking about earnouts over the course of time. Like your budget is limited based off our conversations in certain cases. Like everyone has a budget that that's at a certain point. But when you think like predicated on the health and safety of people eventually down the line that they can add a little more adverse to cutting a specific corner because it's essentially a very, from what I understand, and again, it's just me being, you know, the little bit of understanding about math on how things would work in compound. There's enough budget in there where like an extra five to 10 grand isn't going to really affect the bottom line mm -hmm. in any regard. But that five to 10 grand in content that you guys have out there like stretches it so much further and adds such a larger layer 
including those overage projections. My only concern is that if, if, and this is in general, just the thought process is like, you know, and I know if people are talking about like unionization and stuff like that. Now for us, we have, you know, SAG, PGA, DGA, WGA, there's regulations of how mm -hmm. things have to operate. And if there's not, trust me, you used to be the first person making a phone call and sets got shut down. And that's a different thing. I don't know if like the adult space with how it operates and how like certain people are running things, if that's a feasible thing to do. But I do think in general, there should be some sort of like protective, protective thing for performers and for directors. So like you guys aren't getting hosed by studios. Now, I mean, I'm Definitely. sure that's a conversation that's probably been had or maybe it hasn't been had. I but. feel like the performers are more protective now than ever, to be honest with you. I feel like at any moment in time, like if something happens on set, if I'm producing uh, a talent gets uncomfortable, like we're calling the day, like we're ending it and we'll move on. We'll maybe reshoot it the next day. That's always a, a good call. I think most of the directors are doing that. I think from a bigger perspective, I think it's hard for the directors to be protected because everything's third party producer. Mm. So what ends up happening is like they, you know, they, they give you over a budgetary money or whatever it is. And also like, you know, from their perspective, like because we have such a wide variety of content, I feel that a lot of times when you think of something, a project you want to do, I see the value in making it a, a, a specific amount of space and what I need to do to build a project, to make it valuable on it. Because do, if you do a little more, uh, go above the call of duty and do a little more. Uh, there's so much content out there for free in the adult space that I feel like they, the little bit of detail and value and extra you put into that uh, when it comes to production value is so important. And I feel a lot of times too, it's a, it's a game by numbers and a lot of the porn industries run on algorithms. So they're not looking from the creative process. They're looking more about what the numbers look like based on, you know, um, numbers on uh, Pornhub or something along those lines. So they're like, well, okay, just, um, just shorten what your movie is supposed to be and make it smaller and compact it more. So that way you don't have to go those hours. You don't have to do those things. Unfortunately, as a creator, as people who are creators, we want to be able to also put our brand on something and go, Hey, you know, I'm proud of what I've done here. And the budgetary restrictions sometimes don't allow it because at the end of the day, they have a budget for how many different sites, how many different things. So, you know, I think there's definitely room but for I in think the future to also, change that. I think that's also part of the problem if you do it that way. And again, this is part of my ignorance on this one, but like if you're oversaturating a market with too many things and there's too much information, you're obviously going to be like, there's just, you're giving up a whole thing. I'm not talking about yeah. that. Like, you even see Netflix paring down and Amazon paring down. Like they'll transition movies in and out all the time. Like I was up last night and I just, for whatever reason, felt like I wanted to be a ninja. So I like looked for American Ninja and like, I know I watched it like a month ago. It's a horrible eighties movie, but like, I love horrible eighties movies. <laughs> They're great. Cause they just take me out. Like if just pour it on like RoboCop, uh, uh, Predator, you know, um, American Ninja One, American Ninja Two, American Ninja Three, Dark Blood. I don't care. I'll list the entire thing. Shitty <laughs> movie called Guyver. Like I'm in. Like the the worse the movie, the more it is for mm -hmm. me, because like it's more fun that way. But they switch them off Amazon, so I got to find yeah. it somewhere else. I think if eventually the tube sites, but also the sites started actually like removing the content and then refreshing it, it's got more length and life to it instead of just mm -hmm. letting it live because there's too much on there. Like mm -hmm. in from what I've seen, not like I've seen anything or at all. Yeah, you've well, never, there's, it's not even just that there's too much on there. There's just <laughs> too much all. on there of the same. I don't know if it's too much on there same. I just think it's too much variety in general. Like, look, if you go to if you go to a, a restaurant and you know that that restaurant has like it's like the difference in a menu, right? It's like going to Cheesecake Factory Correct. and the menu's twenty five pages. You're like, why? 
I, I don't and then you get flustered here. and you don't know what you want to yeah. you don't know what to eat and you're like but I want the avocado egg rolls but the kung pao chicken looks good but the Chinese chicken salad yeah. there so by the time you've wasted 30 minutes trying to figure out what you're gonna eat every time not no, like yeah, I'm 100%. relating this from like an issue that takes place when I'm watching things but like it's very similar you know what I mean yeah. people want case. things to be simple they want yeah. simplicity in in their what they're 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 doing it's like what makes you know so many different services that do work work well like you said like a netflix transferring like all of a sudden you're like and it's crazy like you'll be on like an apple tv for example and you have this one movie in mind you want to watch if you search an apple tv it's on some app but it might not be on the app it originally was on when you thought it was there correct right? so they they move it around licensing works in that way also like you know apple tv has their own amount of stuff and i think movies come on and in, in and out but it's different when you're talking about the rental market versus the adult mm -hmm. content market because like from my understanding, and this is just from learning from you guys, like the amount of content that's generated in any given period of time is vastly, vastly larger than the traditional market. Like, and yeah. like the yeah. amount of scenes and stuff that's being pumped into the system. Like with us, you know, like you're gonna watch this, watch that. The question is, do you think that, you know, no different than adult is like, is it gonna be like serialized television? Are you gonna have it in a way where, you know, stuff's lined up where a series is going to be set up? Are there gonna be longer term things where you're gonna be invested in it so you can trans transition that out to a larger format, be that on a Showtime or a Cinemax because like the story's there to be told. Like there's no doubt that there's creative people like this. Like we were sitting having a chat with Max, me, Smiley, um, Shane and Jay and just ripping up ideas that's like that that are perfect for mainstream content and yeah. it's just like having that capability of doing that it just comes down to like a but i guess a budget and and the wherewithal to do so you know whoever decides to kind of like dive into that market i think you know and also make it like like euphoria in tone but for adult like there's no difference between those two things like no. what people don't know even you track it in general is like euphoria used a lot of adult talent they're using a lot of adult talent that mm -hmm. transition's already there so why is it not you know back and forth in that same case well because it's always been unfortunately that way where you know we're useful when it matters but at the end of the day it's it's giving the usefulness to the industry and being able to transfer it over and make it useful for us it's like when you have a show like euphoria it is still being branded and brought up as a mainstream production so you're having that mainstream production and you have that studio behind you and then they're bringing in the adult stars as we don't have a adult production that is being willing to be distributed by the mainstream world and then being able to be accepted there. I don't know if that's the case. Um, I would say that there are adult productions that are continually distributed by the mainstream world. They're just at a different format. I mean, there's no difference if you like do the logical logic logic base on it. Yeah. And I'd say this honestly, go do your movie in France and call it blue is the warmest color. Like it's the same exact thing. Like that is a that is like go do brown bunny. I can literally sit here and list 100 movies that are that are shot foreign titles that are as hardcore as adults oh, yeah. just shot in a different format and they're they're they you know they're they're can and they're and they're producing that way i think it's just the delivery system and maybe that has to do with like the branding on the studio and this or that i mean yeah. i wouldn't i venture a guess realistically the closest one that's probably getting to like you know, visually stylized have that would be like some of the stuff you're doing. And I haven't even watched the sex in his movies because like I don't, like we've talked about this, I can't, I could, I'm desensitized so yeah. it doesn't do anything. Yeah. I think like his transition is shots with what his budgets are. They're great because I've just watched the dialogue from what I've seen and it's good. But it's also like those kind of visual styles and that kind of narrative that he's built is interesting because you read his script, it's good. 
Like if yeah. I read it, I'd be like, I'm not saying that because he's here. If it sucked, I know I'd look at him and tell him it sucked. Yeah, like, no, I say that all the no, time. I'm like, uh, not just because I'm his wife. It's I promise. It's, it's not because I read that. I just I read <laughs> yeah. the, I read like you read the Did script. You, watch you read the script. If you didn't, yeah, I mean, watched. I got what I could watch on it. But yes. yeah, but um, it's a psychological thriller. Just and, pumping through. Yeah. Um, but script wise, <laughs> but script wise, it's yeah. it's structured. It's good. It's something that you would read. It's like no different now. Like. He's had no official formal training. He's not, you know, he hasn't worked for a showrunner. He hasn't done any of that stuff, but he's doing on the same side. Like that version of mentorship where someone that's not from adult talent comes and gives them additional things and concepts as far as like having do it. The difference is that when someone writes a show, they have a writer's room. There's mm -hmm. showrunner, there's writer room, there's script mm -hmm. supervisor, all those things. He's doing it on his own. Like, and that's also where like, I think the business can transition towards that because like you want to have those mainstream qualities. You want those things and you need those tools. Yeah. Like 100%. you can, or you run it like independent film where it makes a lot of sense. And I think for anyone on that space, it's different. Also like the, the, like the, the general space of the business and just, just looking at it from like an influencer standpoint, if you, if you chopped right, the adult side of it off and all these people just were no different than the pretty girls posting pictures in the house. Like they're all portals for, for information and promotion. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it is. So I think like the one thing that, you know, no different than traditional talent do, they come down to like branding yourself, right. And having that branded talent in things and that brand identity, you know, and, and I think a lot of people like can benefit from that, but that's also what's going to help them mainstream along with, you know, concepts and things where like the story it's story driven but there's adult content like you know like go back to any of the movies i reference whether it's antichrist or any or 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 nymphomaniac like those were great stories lars von trier's did but like sex was part of the content yeah right and that's what makes it kind of that version i think there is the genre of erotica which is not like super hardcore but it mm -hmm. is that thing where you can bridge that gap where you're going to get a mainstream audience that would be like oh this is artistic and cool like, what's the difference? Seth changed his name to like, you know, Lars von Hinderbang. And next thing you know, like, there's going to be all these people checking stuff out because it's, oh, it's some Danish director that's into black metal. Like, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's all, it's all that, like, brand identity and thought process. So, like, I don't know. In my eyes, there's such, like, a, a place for this because, like, as things are changing. And also this younger generation is so nuts. Yeah. Like, they are nuts, yeah. like beyond nuts <laughs> in the best way possible for them. Like they're sexually free. They're all these other, th I and reticently not trying to be like in any way toxic. I don't even know all the terms that, that, that the, for everything, but like all of those things, which completely acceptable identification wise and as they should be in all of it. But like all of that is opening up a world that wasn't there before. It comes yeah. back to the food drug mass side. If big box consumer organizations, CVS, Walmart, Target, Walgreens, are starting to carry products that 20 years ago would have never, you used to like go look for condoms 20 years ago, like they're hidden. You used to have to be like peek around. Well, there's a whole section of CVS. 100%. You used to go peek around. I went to go pick. Condoms. I, I, went to, I went to go get, I went to go get, I mean, I generally Postmates everything because I'm lazy when it comes to that. If there's someone that's going to do it for you, you, might as well pay the fee. But I went to go get some shampoo and conditioner and I went to CVS and there was a man and his wife mm -hmm. in the section opening up the toy box for someone to do now you can't there's not just like open you have to have someone like hit the button someone's got to come open for you because yeah. of theft and they're sitting there like oh we'll take that it's like 20 years ago you think that's ever gonna happen it was you'd weird to, you'd have to go years. to some yes yeah, it was years a weird 20 weird. years ago even i would actually ask someone at the like walgreens to buy me condoms because it was so weird that i was buying condoms from from the fucking store dude and that's also the part of the problem too which is like you as a kid feel used to feel so 
awful doing the right thing. Like even at 18, awful doing the right thing. Seth stole condoms when he was a kid. I don't know what you're talking about. It's acceptable. <laughs> when it's he was a little it's, kid. Statue yeah. limitations over. You're good. Um, uh, but what I would say, like you used to feel so awful doing it. Like, and, and I think like that, removing that level of like, you know, insecurity and taboo of like, oh, I'm buying condoms mm -hmm. to be safe. Like, great. That's happened. Like now it's a larger section and people walk in, they toss it. Like, I used to be so nervous when I was 18 going to buy, 17, 18 going to buy bags and be like, I'd like buy a bunch of extra shit I actually didn't need, like magazines and like soap. Oh, and, and like, then there are those. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then they're they're at the end and like you're waiting, you're like, it's like, -na -na -na, na -na -na. it's like the final countdown song. You're waiting for it to pull it out and <laughs> pull it out and like swipe it and you're like, oh, I got away. It's like, you don't feel horrible. Yeah, it's or you look weird. like they're judging you. Now you just walk up, you like throw it on the thing. You're like, all right, fine, I'm out. Like, That's all I need. I don't yeah, need I'm getting else. that pussy. I'm sad. I don't know that word. <laughs> I think I, I like to take people to dinner and treat them respectfully yeah. and massage their back and then, you know, Aww, tell them it's okay so and then send them an, an Uber home after we've had cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. I'm technically a virgin, born again. <laughs> born again virgin. Born again virgin, Jewish virgin. <laughs> so what was the first brand that um, you created? First brand. Um, yeah. First brand like officially created outside of like the stuff we used to do for other people mm -hmm. was Privé Revo. It's um, a sunglass line that we sold to Safalo in 2020. Um, the partners in it were Jamie Foxx, Ashley Benz, and Haley Steinfeld. Um, and then, um, a bunch of other big investors and my partner who I work with on a lot of stuff. Um, it was one of them, also one of my best friends. Uh, we, man, this was like, that's like one of the gnarliest experiences. Like everyone goes like, I want to start a brand. Let's start a brand. We're going to do this. Unless you're willing to like sacrifice. Yeah. And I mean like legit sacrifice, sleep, sanity, like understanding and have to run and gun because people don't understand when you're doing a brand, you can start up your small, start up small is cool. Like do your own thing. And I know you get this right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I know, I know you understand. Um, if you're willing to like sacrifice feels your by Kenzie Taylor. feels by Kenzie Taylor, by the way, <laughs> it's a really good product. Um, it feels nice. Everyone at Doc Johnson <laughs> loves it. So good. By the way, funniest thing I've learned going in there and like working on my projects is like when they're testing lube, they pour it on their finger and everyone goes like this. Yeah. Yeah. Or like starts like rubbing it and they're yeah. like, Oh yeah, this is good. And or they like, put it in their hands. They put in their hands yeah. and make sure it doesn't stick. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm learning so much. Yeah. Um, so Privé was the first one. It again was an eyewear line that like, we rushed that product out just because we had a deal with Amazon that we'd structured to be the first exclusive brand. So when we did our launch party, it was streamed live on Amazon. It was streamed front page of Amazon. Like all these celebrities came, like we were exclusive to Amazon for six months. Um, and then after that, we were able to sell to retail. During that six month period of time though, the problem with doing anything on Amazon is if you don't have a direct DTC, like direct to consumer channel, like you could sell on your website, you collect that data. Amazon ain't giving you any information, mm -hmm. but you're driving the traffic to Amazon because the fulfillment's there and you understand that that's the birdie, right? Mm -hmm. So like there's a great, great crew there that we worked with that actually allowed us like, like not only get hero one and hero two and like exclusive pages and blackjack. And by the way, these are all ad, ad, ad spaces mm -hmm. and different, different landing spaces and also help us because we were driving the traffic. So technically speaking, when it came to like launching, we were one of the first celebrity based brands to really, you know, utilize it in 2015, 2016. Um, and that was a whole process to get there. Like I can't tell you how many meetings we used to have to fly up to Seattle. I'd fly up in the morning on like the, on like the 6am flight and I'd be back home at like nine just cause I had stuff to do the next day. But so that was the first initial brand. Um, and then with that, we realized that even though we had the frames and the celebrities, it got a little stagnant. So one thing I'll teach anyone is you got to be ready to evolve and change. 
So taking off other things, I created the capsule collection uh, situation for for a Prevero. So essentially what we did was we built capsules with individual mm -hmm. celebrities and they had their own line. What that does isn't so much worry about the traffic, it's a halo effect. Because I'm using them as a traffic driver and a fresh face, but it's going to add ancillary sales to our direct-to-consumer site. That was post the Amazon deal. We also had some great other things too, like find yourself a really good influencer guy. Find your guy who's a really good, good, great connective tissue guy. Dave Osakow is a fantastic human and a great friend of mine. He was really good at doing that. Who's good at what I doing what I don't do, mm -hmm. right? Because you different different skill sets. Dave's a great handler. He's amazing. You can get that stuff done. I'm a deal negotiate structure, but also reach out and get stuff done, guys. So you have a whole crew of people that are working in that fashion. But what I will say to you is, you're only going to be strong as your weakest link. Mm -hmm. People aren't there and they can't do the job and they're not able to do it and they're not going to actually push for you. No one's going to push as hard as you, which is part of the problem. I mean, you two know, like. I'll work, I work like 20 to 20 hours, 20 to 22 hours a day. We'll sleep too, get up and do it all over again because there's so much going on, but you have to be in it to do that. And I think a lot of people are really excited to, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, want and do are, different. are two different two animals. Different do you think that, um, you know, since, because you said you sold that in 2020? Mm -hmm. We sold it to different structured deals, so I'm still um, involved. Okay. Um, I'm still one of the co-owners, but we, how a deal sells depending on what it is. And that I'm not sure how much your audience is going to enjoy this conversation, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. structurally speaking, a deal is dependent on like percentage and earnout. So people can buy 20% of your company. They could buy 50%. They could buy 60%. And then the back end structure purchase, they want to purchase the whole thing in advance. It depends on how they're going to keep stuff because no deals made the same. Yeah. So when everyone goes, Oh, my company was purchased. What percentage, how was it? But a majority of our company was sold. And then um, we have earnouts throughout the next couple of years. So, do you think since 2020, all the way until currently right now, that there has been a huge shift with the social media realm of things for marketing and everything like that? Elaborate. Like in 2020, I felt like that's when social media really like took off like hardcore due to like the pandemic and stuff like that. Nope. No. I would say you're thinking about it from a multiple different angles. Yeah. Social media marketing. I remember the first Twitter deal we did at ICM was like 2000. It was like the first couple, like I want to say 2012, maybe mm -hmm. somewhere around the 2013, maybe 2012. Someone came in and was like, oh, if you do this, they're going to pay you this. And that was on Twitter. Right. And you start looking at it and around 2014, 2015, there's sites that were using like traffic arbitrage to drive stuff off. So you saw these like Facebook things and like there's always been money to be made on that from marketing, right? People mm -hmm. started picking it up early. Do I think that, because we were doing direct to consumer social media marketing way before that. Yeah. I think what you're asking is, did it, did, did the conditions of the pandemic yes. have create a certain situation for a certain amount of time yes. where certain things grew aggressively? Yes. And then have they continued past that? Yes. Yeah. I would agree with you that there was a giant uptick in sales because where the fuck were you going? Yeah. Like, what were you going to do? <laughs> like, your ass was home. Yeah. Like, I built a home gym. I, I mean, you've seen that shit. I built a home gym. Yeah. I was online hustling for hours, looking, scouring, and getting all this stuff done. And I have a full gym. Built it in three months, added some additional stuff on. We thought we were going to be locked down for two weeks, four weeks. Next thing you know, I'm sitting there in August. We're still locked down. Except I'm jacked because like I got all the weights in the world. Same. Like, so it's like different different animal on that side. Well, you know. However, what I would <laughs> yeah. say is that I think how we consume things and expectations of consuming things have shifted. Mm -hmm. If you were aware that you can order everything online, and again, a lot of shops popped up, different offerings, more things, you can do whatever you want. Like 
Postmates, Uber Eats, like Instacart. I mean, mm -hmm. you technically don't even like you technically don't even have to go to Home Depot. You can order on Home Depot online. Yeah. The shit they bring it to your house, then you're done. Like yep. if you don't want to leave your house, <laughs> other than like I don't even have to leave my house for a doctor. Yeah, because I have a concierge doctor. I call him like cough shop, cough. It's everything. all done. Yeah. I mean, I probably have to leave my house for a surgery unless I was really aggressive. But like <laughs> home surgery is different. But I think in the pandemic we learned that retail is different right now do i eventually think like you looked on amazon i'll give you an example i were i'm having a, a christmas as you're aware i'm having a christmas thing mm -hmm. for for people mm -hmm. friends um even though i'm jewish i'm doing it because i don't do anything on the 25th normally i would just have chinese food and get drunk but like because it's a normal day but it's like let's do something for people that don't so a couple of my jewish friends we got together we're gonna throw a christmas party so ordering stuff in advance i needed glasses like glassware yeah straight up glassware yeah. i was like oh i'm gonna order well, I'm going to order 60 glasses, like wine glasses, and we'll see how long they take. I clicked order on Amazon at 11 p.m. At 6 in the morning, the glasses were at my house. It's incredible. And I think about that logically. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to go to Bed Bath Beyond. Yeah. I don't need to go search. Those are perfectly suitable for what I need. So technically speaking, what's the point of doing retail? Now, do I think retail consumerism is super important and it should stay because the tangibility of feeling and touching things are important? Yes. Yeah. But I think it's shifted in such a way where you're starting to see it. I mean, look. The risk to retail right now in general, and this even comes to adults or anything else, is theft mm -hmm. is causing a problem. Not sure if you saw Walmart talking about it or in CVS and Walgreens closing stores because of theft. Like they're losing, they're losing stock. Yeah. If they can drop ship and do the same exact Everything thing. Everything is the point, locked right? up. Everything's locked up. Stuff, it's not yeah. the same consumer thing. That's not a consumer experience you want to partake in. Yeah. So, I mean, outside of specialty stores like Alta, Sephora, and other stuff, like we'll see how retail survives. But to, uh, soup to nuts conversation, yes. It did shift everything, but I think it's also tailored off quite a bit because it's how things are changing, right? And how you target people. You need a good targeted marketing company to do paid to target anyone outside of traditional like social. Mm -hmm. Traditional social is only going to take you so far. It's a, it's a pay game. And you need someone that understands like how to build audiences and segmentation to do that. Um, but you also need really good branding, which you do have, by the way. Um, and you need good feels. And I think good feels. <laughs> Um, and I think you're going to like, as your brand evolves, you'll do those things. Cause I know you'll also ask for help. You're not, mm -hmm. you know, someone who goes like, I know it all. You're smart enough to ask people who have to have the experience to do it. Yeah. So, you know, in that case, I think, yeah, you're a D to C brand. However, in the space you're in, you can be a D to C brand, but that's not actually what you want. Because mm -hmm. only so many people are going to tangibly order order a product like yours online. You want to be in retail. So mm -hmm. retail is a necessity for you. Definitely. So in some cases it is, some cases it's not. So is that a good enough explanation? Yes, it's great. Mr. Gamble, hmm. what, is, uh, what do you think about branding? How have you been able to keep your brand afloat for 16, almost 17 years? Wow. Um, and how has it changed within the, that time frame? Um, I think that I've been able to keep my brand afloat because I've been consistent. I'm consistent to it. Um, I just like a consistent step brother. Yeah. <laughs> a consistent step. Are you also stuck? <laughs> I'm not um, sure if you've seen stuck that. In TikTok. A dryer. It's the greatest thing ever. I just feel that I've, ever. I've, I've, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it the right way, but I've, I've so I just, I think it's funny we used that word we were using it the other day, but tranches. I think I've done things in tranches. Tranches. So like, which, you know, which in levels, right? So like when I, every time I knew, I just had a really good inclination on what my lane was at specific times of my career. Mm -hmm. So I played that lane really well during that period of time. So what I always wanted to show as my brand as a performer, because that's the brand that I've created mostly, is that, um, that I was 
everything the business has to offer, like when it comes to being that. So before earlier on in my career, when I first got in the industry, it was you were the young guy who did the young guy stuff and you did maybe did feature stuff and that was where your spot was. So everybody had like a spot. Like it was like now I feel like myself and I even can include uh, Xander Corvus. There was a time period where me and him were able to cross into the BDSM world. We were able to cross into the Gonzo world. We were able to cross and become these hardcore performers on top of being the featuring performers, right? Because that's how it, there was a great separation at mm -hmm. a, for a long period of time where like as a male performer, you were either the feature guy or you were the Gonzo guy. And there wasn't really much crossover that it was involved. It was very rarely you would see one over here or one over there. And I think when I saw that, I didn't like it. It was like this weird internal separation, like, you know, where people weren't getting opportunities in both areas. And also as a brand, I just, I always, I always try to present myself with a large amount of uh, excitement and PR and, and different things like that. And just continuing to do that. And honestly, my brand's changed, so I've changed it. It's a lot of evolving. You have to evolve with who you are and what you're doing. So, you know, there was a time when I got sober and um, I, I felt at the time period, there was a weird time period where um, around the 2017, 2018, 2019 period where uh, pineapple support happened to show up during the same time period that I got sober. It wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't what got me sober, but it was like a part of it. So what ended up happening was I realized there was a space for me to like, you know, talk to people about my struggles and become that. So then there was a new part of my brand and also a part of my real representation as a human being that was able to give me an authentic view on things. And I think that has been one of the things that has been so important for my brand is I'm very authentic. I'm authentically myself. I've mm -hmm. never separated who I was as a person from who I am as a performer. And I think that's been my brand mostly and why it's been so easy to regulate and people can relate to me because I think that's what it's about. And as any entertainer, people want to know what they can relate to what's relatable. So the more you can be relatable to other people, the more they feel comfortable watching you and watching you grow and also being a part of your brand. Do you relate to him? In what way? <laughs> In a religious way? Are we yeah. related religiously? Yes, you're both Jewish. We get it. Are we? <laughs> we are Jew. We're, we are proud. We're one. Jew, I was one just unit. brainstorming for a second though when he was talking about that, but you're talking about Amazon bringing you something like right now, and I was like, should we even go shopping for the Christmas decorations? Or we should because I need yeah. to look in how things are yeah. done. I can't look at <laughs> screens talk, anymore. We're talking about the look and feel, right? Like yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't look at a screen anymore and be like, <laughs> I do like, this. I, I do like shopping. Uh, also, for anyone I've, who doesn't know, I love Christmas. I love Christmas decorations. Also, and, to yeah. add to that, yeah. and I'm excited to see this Christmas. This is going to be a yeah. very fun time. Um, um, I, to add to what I was just saying about that is just being able to like, um, really represent yourself in a way that is you're, you're away from the bullshit. Like there's so much bullshit that goes on, especially when you're growing your brand on like social media, people get so involved in things that, you know, aren't necessarily your brand. And like, there's always an opportunity to like be helpful in ways that aren't you know, that are, that you find and deem to be important, but there's also a way as like someone who's a face of a brand to be able to do it in a way where your action says more than your words. Cause I think a lot of talk happens when change wants to be acted on. And I think I've really veered away from doing that on, uh, my, on my platform. I'd also give a good suggestion to anyone that is in the adult space or in any space in general, mm -hmm. don't air your shit out. On, online yeah like i try I to say that that's an easier time. way of saying it. i think <laughs> i think that unless you're gonna do it have a private finstagram yeah or whatever you want to do like leak your stuff there but fact of the matter is like 
mark off what a traditional talent's doing, right? Like, there's people like Busy Phillips, like, great, great actress. Like, she has, like, breakdowns and cries on the internet, and it's good once. But then you do it every week, everyone's like, please stop. Yeah. You know, and then two months go later, three months go later, they're like, fine. Like, at the end of the day, here's the fact of the matter when it comes to traditional talent. Your life's great. Yeah. You're at the top of the game. There are people who can't eat. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, that's what people generally say. I'm not saying that, but that's what the general consumer does. And that's a turnoff. Now, imagine somebody who's like in the same space and they're looking for it. And then that stuff happens and they understand that's behavior. So like a lot of people, when they're doing stuff, I would say, like, stay away from drama. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to have communications on politics and stuff like that, do it in a way which is, you know, safe for you. And then or have another site where it's not your brand talented related site or your character. Yeah. And like have it ripped that way. I think, you yeah, know, having people pay attention to simple things like that will make a world of difference. Yeah. Because like I'm not going to someone like, for example, I love Gordon Ryan. He's the, one of the best jujitsu artists in the world. I know what I'm getting with Gordon Ryan. He does not deviate. Yeah. There's no deviation. Yeah. Right. It's not one moment. Gordon Ryan's talking about it. He's always talked about his, his issues with the stomach. He's always talked about being a complete troll to people. But he's all at the end of the day is like the best jujitsu artist. He is what he is. At no point in time is Gordon to be on there be like, I'm emotional and I feel like this because like that's not the perception of who he is. Yeah. Right. So I think like in general, Seth's done a really good job with that. You've done a good job with that. Like if as long as you stick to that and you actually understand this is your character, this yeah. is your brand. Yeah. It is not reality. Yeah. If you want to do reality, get a locked Twitter account, call yourself whatever name you want, put a picture of a cheetah on it or a lion <laughs> or a llama or like a bear or Elmo or whatever, or Elmo. <laughs> Or especially Elmo, angry Elmo, nothing with like an the, angry Elmo the with the hellfire hands and just talk your shit there and yeah. get it out to the world if you feel like it's necessary. But unfortunately, you don't have the luxury of doing that and then maintaining a brand. I think a lot of people miss that. So that's point, your point, you guys have done a very good job of like locking those things in and yeah. being transparent about stuff that matters. That yeah. actually is, but also not diving into huge dramatic overtones on things when you don't. Like, yeah. And it makes it a very clean thing. Also makes you safe to work with. Yeah. Because I'm not worried about someone doing something. Like one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is walking up to somebody that you don't know. Yeah. Or saying anything to someone that you don't know and not know who you're talking to. Oh, it's the it's so funny to watch though. But the funniest part <laughs> is the funniest part is that happens every day on Twitter. Like literally happens every day on Twitter or mm -hmm. Instagram. Like someone goes on and they say X, Y, and Z. How do you know that person's not gonna find you? Yeah. yeah. Like realistically, like I've seen people talk, I've seen people talk crazy stuff to some of the craziest people. And I'm like, man, you are aware if that guy actually wanted to track you down, you're going to be a carpet. Yeah. Like you're going to be a carpet <laughs> in some foreign country. Like that's not a joke. And yeah. like people miss that, miss that, miss that fact that like everyone is, everyone wants to do that. Also, uh, Twitter tough guys, Instagram Twitter tough fingers. Guys. I love warriors. people like that. Yeah. I think keyboard warriors are entertaining. Yeah. I'm much, I'm much like, I, I'm much on the Mike Tyson train of like, everyone's a tough guy, you know, like, but until everyone wants to talk shit until you get punched in the face. Oh, yeah. great. It's very true. Yeah. But I think it's the same exact thing. Like, don't be engaging in commentary. Don't be saying things to people that you don't know because you don't know who's watching, especially on the, especially on Twitter, right? Well, especially on any internet platform yeah. or in general. Well, what impact do you want to, what do you want to give? Like, at the end of the day, it's like, it, it being a brand in general it's like what impact like you were saying earlier someone crying on social media they do it once it's interesting they do it a bunch of times it's not it's it's now shut well, up it's it's not just that it's also like the boy who cried wolf you know what i mean yeah like if you're doing things consistent like it's different if it's different here's what i would say it's different if you're sharing 
your journey of getting yourself healthy or you're actually doing it to advocate or you're yeah. doing it for something where it's going to have a tangible good. But if you're doing it to do it just because you want it to be your vented platform, fucking stop. Yeah. Especially if you're in the space. Like there's people who have that right to do it. But at the end of the day, realistically speaking, outside of, of, of how bad things are, and I reference this all the time, right? Terrible things have happened to everybody. Yeah. Me included, everyone, everyone here included. Awful, terrible, horrible things, right? You can either like live with those things and move past them and realize that life's a blessing every single day. You know, congratulations on your sober birthday. That's fucking amazing. Thank you. Hell you yeah. lived through terrible things. You made a positive of it. You're sharing it and you're doing it right, right? Or you could let those things define you, right? And then people, that on top of that, with people don't understand, like, do you understand that, like, most people don't live on what we spend at Starbucks? Yeah. Like, they, that's an actual, that, that, in some countries, like, the $20 order is someone's monthly salary. Yeah. And yet life is terrible. Yeah. Like, I think everyone misses that aspect of mm -hmm. it. And then they put that out on social media. Like, eventually it's going to catch up to you because people are going to be like, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. Or you know, they're just going to let it go and you're not going to miss it. So, like, unless that's your world you're living in, like, just don't do it. Be yeah. cool. You know, like, mm -hmm. have the brand that you guys have. Have the brand that people who actually like leaning into. I don't care what, what it is. It could be like, you could be, you know, um, a, a youth pastor that just sticks to the brand, you know, different story. You could be, you know, a, a coffee person who has Instagram. You could be an adult star. You could be a podcaster, but it stay in the line that you've set and don't really deviate unless it's an evolution to a different thing.